Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today we're going to continue on in the series called Women of the Bible, and we've been highlighting maybe some lesser known women that you may or may not have heard before, but we just want to make sure that their stories are told and that we can learn about them and how God used them, because God, of course, uses women. So today we're going to focus on the Queen of Sheba, who was a ruler from a foreign land who praised the living God at King Solomon's court. She'll be our focus for today. Let's get started. Hey, Millennial. Welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate Creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface-level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. As always, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you meet us exactly where we are at in this moment. I pray that we would be able to really focus on you and who you are through the stories of the women of the Bible. I pray that you would speak through me today and that your message would come across and that you would stir the hearts of the listeners in the way that you want to do it. I pray that your name would be made great because of this episode and this podcast, because it's all about bringing more glory to you and bringing more sisters into your family. In Jesus name. Amen. All right. We've got to begin with some context. There is a lot of history behind what is going on with the Queen of Sheba. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. King Solomon is now the King of Israel. Now, King Solomon was one of the many, many sons of King David. He's actually the son of King David and Bathsheba. He is not the child that Bathsheba became pregnant with once her and King David had sex for the first time. That is not the child of this union. Actually, that child is a very sad story. We're not going to talk about that today. But King David had many wives and concubines, and so because of that, he had lots and lots of children, and actually there's a ton of conflict with his sons about which one would become the next king. There was infighting with the sons. There's a lot of issues with his children, and a lot of it had to do with how King David did not discipline his children very um, effectively. All of that aside, King David dies, and King Solomon becomes the next king of Israel. Now, Solomon has been charged with building the temple of God in Jerusalem. So up until this point, they had been traveling with the Ark of the Covenant. It was like a tent type of structure. It was not a permanent home. The temple, though, was meant to be a permanent home for the home of God among his people where his presence would fill the temple and it would be there. And then the priests would come to the temple to do the sacrifices and offerings for the people. So it'd still function in a similar way, but it's meant to be a permanent home. And it really represents how God will permanently be in in the presence of his people and also how he's fulfilling his promise that he would give them the land that was promised to them. Now, all of that would have continued for all these generations if only the Israelites had actually kept being faithful to the Lord. 
They did not do so, so the temple did not actually stay as a structure until the time of Jesus. The Israelites are going to be taken into captivity. Lots of history happens after this. They are not able to keep that permanent home because they did not stay faithful to God. And if you want to know the details of that, it is all in the Old Testament. Really interesting. Now, the temple, though, before it's destroyed, is absolutely magnificent. It is made with tons of gold, silver, iron, wood, all kinds of precious stones. If you're interested, it is described in very, very thorough detail. So you can go into the Old Testament and read about it, specifically in Kings, Chronicles, and you'll be able to kind of visualize what this temple looked like. It was so epic that this temple actually took 20 years to construct a very long time, and it had tons of laborers. Some of them were forced laborers under King Solomon. And if you're wondering why David didn't build it, there's actually a specific answer. So David was not allowed to build it. Um, Actually, Solomon was the one who was charged with building this temple. Even though King David could have started it during his lifetime, he wasn't allowed to. So why is that? Well, at the end of David's rule, he says in 1 Chronicles 28, the text says, David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals and captains, the overseers of the royal property and livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the other brave warriors in the kingdom. David rose to his feet and said, my brothers and my people, It was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it, but God said to me, You must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. He has chosen the tribe of Judah to rule, and from among the families of Judah, he chose my father's family. And from my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards, For I have chosen him as my son, and I will be his father. And if he continues to obey my commands and regulations, as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So there you can see that David was actually told by God that he could not build the temple because he was a warrior and had shed a lot of blood. And actually, yes, David killed lots and lots of people during a time of war. That's kind of an interesting thing I like to think about. You know, the fact that David did shed so much blood mattered to God. And I think that's something that I like to think about when I'm wrestling with all of the death that occurs in the Old Testament. Okay, more context that you need. Solomon also, when he first became king, had asked God in 2 Chronicles 1 for wisdom to rule Israel. It's actually a really interesting story. God asks Solomon what he wants. And yeah, Solomon asks for wisdom. And because Solomon asked for a gift that would actually benefit his people because he was asking for wisdom that he'd be able to judge and rule them fairly, God told him, yes, I'll give you that wisdom beyond what any man has had before, but I will also give you riches and fame beyond that of any other ruler 
past or present of Solomon's time. And so that's really interesting. So just know that Solomon is going to become incredibly famous and he is very, very wise, the wisest. And he is extremely rich too. So obviously that kind of news about a king that is that rich, that wise, and that famous is going to spread beyond Israel to nearby nations, which is very relevant to our story with the Queen of Sheba. I also want to mention that at the end of Second Chronicles 5, once the temple is completed, the text says that God's presence fills the completed temple, that God's presence lives there in that temple, which is really beautiful. All right, from here, we can start the story of the Queen of Sheba in Second Chronicles 9. Now, her story is also told in 1 Kings 10. And it's really interesting. If you read Kings and Chronicles, a lot of stories are repeated. They're told twice. So I'm not going to read the one in Kings because they are almost identical. There's a few different words, but for the most part, the passages are for all intents and purposes the same. So I'm not going to read both of them. I'm just going to read the one in 2 Chronicles 9. And it's a pretty short section on the Queen of Sheba. Beginning in verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. She arrived with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold, and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables and the organization of his officials and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers in their robes and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and I saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God, who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires his kingdom to last forever. He has made you king over them so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of spices, and precious jewels. Never before had there been spices as fine as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. I'm going to skip verses 10 and 11 because they're not relevant to her story. Verse 12. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, gifts of greater value than the gifts she had given him. Then she and all her attendants returned to their own land. And that's it. That's the whole section on her. Now, as always, I like to note a few interesting things about the text before we talk about her attributes and then what we can learn about God through her story. The first interesting thing that I noted when I was researching her is that it's really disputed and in some cases very hotly disputed where she came from. We know for sure she came from a southern kingdom, but it might have been a kingdom in Arabia or it could have been a kingdom in Africa. 
Many people think that it was actually Ethiopia, but we don't know for sure, and there's a lot of debate about it, so I'm not going to speculate. I don't know enough to say where she came from. I just wanted to mention that there's definitely lots of people who have looked into it and researched it and have strong opinions about it. Now, the second really interesting thing that I came across is that the Queen of Sheba, even though she's such a small section in this in the book of Kings and also in the book of Chronicles, it's pretty small. There's not that much that's written about her. It's about 10 verses total. And yet she's actually referenced in several works outside the Bible. And she's a very famous person. Lots of people like to talk about her story. And I found that really interesting. So I wanted to say that she also is mentioned in the Targum Shinai. I'm really sorry if I mispronounced that. That is an Aramaic elaboration on the story of of Esther. So if you're interested, there's that. She's also mentioned more in the Quran, and she's also mentioned in an Ethiopian work known as the Kebra Negast. Again, sorry for pronunciation. That work actually claims that Solomon and the Queen of Sheba had a child together and that that child came to rule Ethiopia. And it was really interesting to read a summary of, but again, I don't want to comment on anything else having to do with those three different sources that also mentioned the Queen of Sheba because I have not read them in their contents. I just point them out really to say that there's quite a bit of mystery, a lot more than I expected, that surrounds this Queen of Sheba. Now, we're just going to stick in this podcast to what's in the biblical text, but I did want to mention that because I thought it was interesting. The third thing I wanted to know is the Queen of Sheba is referenced twice in the New Testament, and it's mentioned twice because it's the same story told in Luke and Matthew where Jesus is speaking. So in Luke 11 and Matthew 12, and the passages again are nearly identical. So later on, I'm just going to read the one from Matthew. So just know that it's mentioned twice though. But I find it really interesting that Jesus actually references the Queen of Sheba. All right, so thinking about the actual Queen of Sheba, what can we learn from the biblical text? One, I think it's so interesting that she was a truth seeker. She came from a faraway land, even if we don't know which land for sure that it was. She came from pretty far away, it seems clear to me, to test Solomon herself. She wasn't going to take anyone's word for it that he was wise and that his God was powerful. No, she actually came herself to question him. She wanted to learn the truth and she was not afraid to voice all of her questions. And some people even say that she potentially gave riddles for him to solve. So there's all this, you know, speculation, but it's really interesting. During a time when it was hard to travel, she was willing to really travel and go through that labor in order to learn more, to seek that truth. And she found it. The second attribute is that the Queen of Sheba is a smart woman who is not afraid to question powerful men. So going with that first point, here she comes from far away. And in verse one, it says that she straight up, quote, test him with hard questions. I know that she's a ruler and in a very powerful position, but her questions were hard. She didn't come at him with the easy stuff. She was not afraid to be smart and to show her smarts to King Solomon. And she wasn't afraid to question him. He's a very powerful man. He's rich. He's famous. He's wise. His people are prospering under his rule. And yet he actually answers her questions. 
And he's able to do so, I want to note, because he has a gift that's given to him from God. That's what's special about Solomon is God gave him this very special gift. Actually, several very special gifts. But I just want to point out, she's not afraid to pose those questions and Solomon answers them. He doesn't just say like, hey, go away. I don't care to answer your questions. I don't have the time of day for you. No, he meets with her and he answers them. I love that. Third, the queen of Sheba praises God and recognizes that God is in control and that he is good. She can see how much God has actually blessed Solomon and she gives praise to God. She gives God the credit for what King Solomon has, including his gifts and riches. I want to reread that passage. This is all her speaking here. Verse five, she exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Pay special attention here, verse 8. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires this kingdom to last forever, he has made you king over them so you can rule with justice and righteousness. So she says, verse eight, praise the Lord your God. She praises God. She praises him. A woman from a foreign nation who had probably never, ever learned much about God before comes and praises God. She recognizes how much he delights in Solomon and how in control God is. The fact that he has placed Solomon on the throne as king. God is in control of this nation and she can see that and recognizes it. She recognizes God's love for Israel and how much he wants his kingdom to last forever. I mean, I'm not sure how long she was here. It is clear to me that she really grasps God's heart for Israel. She grasps his level of control. She sees how much he loves them, how much he wants Israel's kingdom to last forever. And also, she recognizes that God values justice and righteousness. She sees why Solomon was made king. She can see those qualities that wisdom that allows him to administer justice and righteousness in a way that honors God. And she sees that and acknowledges it. She sees the goodness of God. It's beautiful. Fourth, the Queen of Sheba was a generous woman. And yes, I know she received a lot of gifts from Solomon too, but it said that she gives him these incredible spices. It says that they'd never even experienced these type of spices before. They sound very impressive. It actually says, in verse 9, never before had there been spices as fine as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. So she actually gives him, you know, gold, all these jewels. He had plenty of that. She gives him quite a bit. But he had lots of that because he was so rich. But she gives him something that he doesn't have, which is spices. She's a generous person. She's willing to share with this king when she discovers what a beautiful kingdom this is with such a beautiful God. And when she sees his gifts. She also is fine with receiving gifts. It says that Solomon gives her tons of gifts, right? He gives her more than she gives him, basically. She's okay receiving gifts, and I think that that's also something that we can learn a lot from. 
receiving the gifts of other people. Fifth, the Queen of Sheba was a ruler from a foreign land who came to find God. And this one, I want to point out actually more of what God's heart is. This shows us so much about how God draws people into himself. His heart and desire to show himself and reveal himself to the Queen of Sheba and to others who had visited and saw the temple and saw the way that Solomon was gifted and saw the way that Israel ran. It's really, really beautiful that God's heart was not just to be the God of the Israelites, but in fact, to be the God of the Gentiles, the non-Israelites. The sixth thing I want to point out is that the Queen of Sheba is actually referenced by Jesus. And I feel like Jesus puts her in a really positive light, almost a praise, when he mentions her in the New Testament. So I'm going to read the passage from Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The Queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. In this passage, Jesus is really talking about how he's, he's pointing out how they literally had Jesus, the Son of God, God, standing in front of them, talking to them. And yet they wanted this miraculous sign. They didn't repent and believe, at least not all of them did. And he's pointing out that the people of Nineveh, they had far less than Jesus. They just had Jonah and Jonah didn't even like them. He tried to hide from them. And yet they repented. The queen of Sheba came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She went to Solomon. She got to hear directly from him and learned about the God of Israel from him. Now someone greater than Solomon is there. It's Jesus, and they weren't listening. It really points out how these people had so much less. The people of the Old Testament didn't have Jesus. The Queen of Sheba didn't have Jesus. She didn't know about him. But she came to learn from someone. She came to learn from the wisdom of Solomon. God drew her heart in. She believed a mere human king, but they wouldn't believe the Son of God. So I feel like Jesus here is talking about her in such a positive light really showing how some people will go that distance to learn of God. They have that craving in their heart to learn of God. And some of us are so resistant, but the queen of Sheba is pointed to as a positive example here. All right, so those are the attributes of the queen. Now, what can we learn about God through the queen of Sheba's story? First, God brings women to himself. He draws women in. He desires that women will know him. He wants to show himself and reveal himself to women. He doesn't just do that with men. And I know that the, the Bible has so many stories of men and so many fewer stories of women, but the stories are in there and God pursues and loves women so much. 
He desires that you will know him. He desires to reveal himself to you and to the queen. Secondly, God's fame brings people in. So I kind of mentioned that before, but I think it's worth noting again that when God is famous, when God's name is great and held in high regard among foreign nations, it brings people in. When in the Old Testament, you see so many incredible miracles of God. You see him parting the Red Sea. You see him providing manna from heaven. You see him providing water where there was none. God continuously over and over and over again does these incredible miracles. And he has these crazy successful battles that the Israelites participate in. And they win when they have no business winning, when the odds are stacked against them, when there's no earthly reason why they should have won. And as these things happen, God's fame spreads to these countries in the Old Testament that are beyond Israel. And as Solomon's fame increases, so does God's, because they can recognize that God put him in that place. And God's elaborate dwelling place, that temple that Solomon built, is not only beautiful, but it also draws people into himself. It draws people from foreign nations to God. And God's heart is to draw people into himself, which leads us to point number three. God always planned to save the Jewish and the Gentiles, to save the Israelites, and to also save everyone else. God chose his people to be a holy nation. He chose the Israelites to be a holy nation. And that also served to bring foreigners to faith. That also served to bring others to him, to learn more about him, to see the work of the God of Israel. God always planned to save all of us, not just one people group. Where am I getting the evidence for this? Not just in the story of the Queen of Sheba, but also Jesus himself is prophesied about and described in Isaiah 49. This is a book in the Old Testament, and I want you to listen to it, especially the last section. Starting in verse one, it says, listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword and has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose, yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb, to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So in the Old Testament, when you're reading about how God is paying so much attention to Israel and establishing them as a nation, don't forget that also he always intended to bring everyone, meaning non-Jewish folks, the Gentiles, to himself. It was always for everyone. God created everyone and loves everyone. And his salvation was always meant to spread. And indeed it has and continues to do so. The last point, point number four, is that God uses the unlikely. I love that God chooses a foreign woman who comes to learn of him. 
and comes to praise him and recognize who he is. Always when you're reading the Bible, look for how God is using the unlikely. It's constant. Even people who we consider to be very famous, such as King David, have very humble beginnings. They never had any right becoming what they were except that God wanted them to be that. And after all, God's in control, yeah? You might have humble beginnings, but you know what? God can use that for great and miraculous things. He will use your life in great and miraculous ways if he chooses to do so. All right, let's review. The attributes of the Queen of Sheba. One, she was a truth seeker. She was also a smart woman who was not afraid to question powerful men. She praised God and recognized God as in control and as good. She's a generous woman, a ruler of foreign lands who came to find God. And she is referenced by Jesus in the New Testament. Lastly, what can we learn about God through the Queen of Sheba story? God brings women to himself. His fame brings people to him. God always planned to save the Jewish and the Gentiles. And God uses the unlikely. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and that we can learn more of you. Thank you that it's you in control and not us. And thank you that you use the humble beginnings in miraculous and beautiful ways. And I pray that we would be used in your plan. I pray that you would use every single person who's listening, that they would know what you want them to do and that they would have the courage to do it. Thank you for the Queen of Sheba and for all the stories of the women in the Bible. There are so many women in the Bible, and I appreciate that, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to highlight them through this podcast and in the hearts of the listeners. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show, and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.